Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over a hundred casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. Eighteen plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is true news, the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help us God. I'm Rick Wiles. Today is Thursday, February 15th, 2024. Russia may place nuclear weapons in outer space, according to various news reports that emerged on Wednesday afternoon. President Joe Biden has been briefed about the Russian plan, according to unnamed White House sources, Mr. Biden Uh, we are told, has been aware of the national security threat for several weeks. Republican Congressman Mike Turner, the head of the House Intelligence Committee, revealed the information yesterday in a public statement. He urged the president to declassify national security documents to allow the American people to know the severity of the threat. One news source said the Russian space weapons could target American satellites and eliminate military communications and targeting systems. Let's start with our analysis of today's top news by looking at this headline published by the New York Times. Russia's advances on space-based nuclear weapons draw U.S. concerns. So, Doc, here we go. It's 2024, the election year. Yesterday, while you and I were talking about the uh, Butler County, Ohio sheriff uh, doing a press conference talking about what he was told at the National Sheriff's Association by the FBI. Right. um, That there was going to be chaos this year. Yes. And uh, he was putting into the sheriff was putting into action a plan to deal with the chaos in Butler County. He's putting rifles in every sheriff's cruiser. Extra magazines of ammo. Go bags. Go bags. He was told something big is coming in 2024. While you and I were talking, doing this program, the the news broke about Russian nuclear weapons in outer space. So what we have here, the New York Times reported that the United States has informed Congress and its allies in Europe about Russian advances on a new space-based nuclear weapon designed to threaten America's extensive satellite network. According to current and former officials briefed on the matter, such a satellite-killing weapon, if deployed, could destroy civilian communications, surveillance from space, and military command and control operations by the United States and its allies. At the moment, the United States does not have the ability to counter such a weapon and defend It's satellites, a former official said. And then Reuters says, so this New York Times article that just came out today. And then um, Reuters reporting this morning, U.S. warned allies about Russian space nuclear capabilities. So, Doc, according to both Reuters and 
the New York Times, uh, the members of Congress have been told that the Russians either are developing this system or have deployed it. Depends on how you read between the lines. Right. Uh, they're trying to spin it as saying it's it's not imminent, but it's serious. It's a serious threat. How so, is a national security threat not imminent? That that's my question. If if I told you, Rick, uh, your house, it, it's imminent that your house will catch on fire. Would that be a right now threat? Or yes, it would. would. Would it be something? Well, I don't have to worry about it for a couple of weeks. No, I would go outside. <laughs> I would find, you know, what is the source? What's going on? Yes. Why, why are you saying that my house is getting ready to burn down? That is imminent. Yes. Doc, this uh, space-based uh, weapons, is, uh, is this is not new. Right. Um, I would say 15 years ago, I was doing stories about China developing, um, I'm trying to remember the, the, the term that they use for these miniature satellites that would attach kind of like barnacles on a, on a bigger satellite and and then explode and and you know destroy the satellite in space that's that's 15 years ago you're telling me the that the Chinese put that technology aside and said well we're just not going to do it right now so suddenly we're told the Russians are thinking about or seriously thinking about this I, I think there's something much more serious in this story. Let's go on before we we talk about it. Um, so this is what Reuters is reporting. The United States has told Congress and its allies uh, about a about new intelligence related to Russian nuclear capabilities that could pose an international threat. Uh, the capabilities related to Russian attempts to develop space-based weapons do not pose an urgent threat. The intelligence came to light after Congressman Mike Turner, uh, chairman of the U.S. House Intelligence Committee, issued an unusual and cryptic statement on Wednesday warning of a serious national security threat. Now, Doc, this, is, this isn't, um, you know, Congressman Santos. Right. No, it's the head of the House Intelligence Committee, Mike Turner, saying this. And, it, and the way he released it yesterday, it was almost like it was out of frustration, like he'd been dealing with various factions and maybe even the White House about this information. And then he had to go public with it. Yes. And in fact, it seemed to take the White House flat footed. They weren't ready to respond to this because uh, Jake Sullivan, when he was uh, uh, doing press conference yesterday afternoon, it, it was like he was like having to, you know, uh, tap dance a little bit mm -hmm. in order not to answer a question. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's it's interesting the timing on this coming right on the heels of the passage of the uh, funding bill for Ukraine and Israel. Well, now the Russians are saying today that the American politicians will do anything to pass the Ukrainian bill. Yes. And they're saying that this is all made up drama to get the Ukrainian military bill passed. Right. We don't know. Let's go back. We'll take a look at what they're saying. Uh, I've got a, a video clip from ABC News. Good morning, America. This Today. was this was this morning, and uh, this is just a, about a uh, about two minutes from Good Morning America. Let's watch. 
Out on alarm for Congress about a serious national security threat, it involves Russia's plan to put a nuclear weapon in space. Details first reported by our chief global affairs anchor, Martha Raddatz. Good morning, Martha. Good morning, George. Once the head of the House Intelligence Committee warned of an impending threat, alarm bells were sounding throughout Washington. And once we found out just what the threat was, they rang even louder. This morning, startling new intelligence on a potential threat from space. Sources telling ABC News that the U.S. believes Russia is working on plans to position a nuclear weapon in space, a blatant violation of multiple international agreements. The intended target, not Earth, but the critical satellite circling around it, vital for communications and military operations. Moscow's military ambitions coming to light after the Republican head of the House Intelligence Committee, Mike Turner, sent shockwaves through Washington by cryptically urging the Biden administration to declassify intelligence about what he described only as a serious national security threat. The White House caught off guard. You definitely are not going to find an unwillingness to do that when it's in our national security interest to do so. At the same time, we, of course, have to continue to prioritize and focus very much on the issue of sources and methods. We'll do that. Lawmakers on the Hill also tight-lipped, but some, including the top Republican in the House, trying to ease concern. I want to assure the American people there is no need for public alarm. We are going to work together to address this matter. Steady hands are at the wheel. We're working on it, and there's no need for alarm. Russia's space program has fallen behind countries like the U.S., China, and even India. So experts say Moscow is likely trying to gain an advantage. But that is still cause for concern because it's proof of how far Putin is willing to go. The idea of catastrophic space terrorism blowing up, you know, billions of dollars investments in low Earth orbit, we, we think that's not credible. We think that's crazy. And uh, but unfortunately, uh, the Russians and other folks are willing to do the kinds of things that we uh, think is unthinkable. National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan will be on the Hill today briefing leadership. But sources tell me Sullivan was furious that Congressman Turner flagged this intelligence before the scheduled briefing. Meanwhile, the Russians are saying this is all about getting aid to Ukraine. Robin. Now, on that scheduled briefing, mm-hmm. so I watched the uh, the White House press mm-hmm. conference yesterday with Sullivan. This briefing had been scheduled for three weeks about this topic. Really? Yes. And the briefing was to the members of Congress? Yes. The, the briefing that's taking place today was actually scheduled three weeks ago. So they did the briefing today. They're, or or it's maybe happening right now. Right. So, uh, but they knew about this briefing three weeks ago. And then Turner, uh, Representative Turner, drops the bomb yesterday, uh, figuratively speaking, uh, about this national security threat. Obviously, the White House and members of the Intelligence Committee have known about this, quote, national security threat for three weeks and have been, you know, mum on all uh, any information until yesterday. Okay. Now, I'm going to tell you. What I, what my gut feeling is, okay, strictly on just instinct of what I'm, what I'm feeling in my spirit about what's happening. I know there's a lot of people like the Russians that are saying, "Hey, this is all uh, propaganda. Uh, this is this is about America getting the Ukrainian bill passed." I don't believe that at all. And I know there are people looking at it as very cynically uh, minded, saying, you know, this is all theater. 
political theater. Um, obviously, I'm not a nuclear scientist. We, we all agree on that. The Russians are not just getting around to developing space-based weapons. No, not at all. If that's the message that they're trying to get across, then that's nonsense. That, that the Russians are thinking about putting weapons in space. Well, they've been thinking about it for a long, long time. Number two, the, the report on ABC said that the Russians are want to launch a rocket and place a nuclear warhead in space. Again, I'm not a nuclear scientist. But I wouldn't think that's the way that you you destroy satellites. Right. You're going to blow that came up to every, my mind too. You're going to blow up everything in outer space including the Russian satellites? I mean, you're going to detonate a nuclear bomb in outer space to take out you, just U.S. satellites. Just U.S. satellites. I thought it's about that not going to take out Chinese, Russian, European. I mean, just American satellites. You don't do it that way. We were told years ago what I mentioned earlier about the Chinese. Right. They had these little, uh, you know, satellite killers. I, I found that story. By Did the you? Way. What is it? Uh, it's from uh, two, uh, 2020s in Space News. There you go. China amassing arsenal of anti-satellite weapons. Right, in 2020. The that, ASATs, A-S-A-T's. Right. And that says amassing arsenal. And I'm going back, in my mind, about 15 years where the reports were they were they were going to develop it. So that report says that they already have the, the, the satellite weapons in space. But the, your logic is sound here, Rick, in that, you know, if, if – if you have a nuclear weapon in space, you don't want to knock out everybody's nuclear weapon, just your enemies, right? Can I tell you what I believe, Congressman Turner, what he knows and why he's so alarmed and why he jumped protocol? I believe that he knows that the Russians have told the White House, we are going to do an EMP over America. I think so, too. And – just coincidentally, the Russians launched a Soyuz rocket on February 9th, earlier this month, with an undisclosed payload. I, I believe the Russians have told the White House, back down, get out of Ukraine, or we're going to end this war. That's what I think is happening. Um. You want the uh, you want the uh, domain address for American Reserves, AmericanReserves.com. Folks have been telling you for a long time. Stockpile food. Uh, make sure you have food and water. If if the Russians detonate it, for me, an EMP is the worst case scenario because nobody's going to die from the EMP attack, not the EMP blast. No, we'll kill each other. We're going to kill each other looking for food. That's going to be the worst thing. The shutdown of hospitals, the shutdown of, of all uh, police, all emergency yes. services, no fire trucks, no ambulances, no police cars, nothing. No utilities. No utilities. No water, no sewer. That's right. Nothing. 
for the entire country, not just the country, Canada. Yes. Mexico. If it's over North America, baby, it's lights out from Alaska down to Cancun. The whole northern hemisphere goes dark on the west, western hemisphere. Here's why I believe that this is about an, an EMP attack. At the same time, I came across, it was on News, Newsweek, and, um, you know, there's, you know, they put the Russian media monitor and Putin's ally nuke over Siberia warning resurfaces amid satellite threat. Now, that's Newsweek's. Yes, that's headline. Newsweek's headline. They got the video from a group called Russian Media Monitor that, you know, uh, tracks Russian disinformation. Uh, this isn't Russian disinformation. This is Russian television news talk shows. And the lady that you see on the screen there is Mar Margarita Samoan. She's the chief editor of RT, Russia Today. The chief editor yes. of Russia Today. Yes. So uh, her show is no more uh, Russian propaganda than, um, you know, anything on CNN or Fox News. It's their talk shows. Right. It's their viewpoint. And they're entitled to have their viewpoint. That doesn't mean it's it's misinformation, disinformation, propaganda. All of these channels are putting out truth mixed with disinformation. Propaganda. It's called, yes. We do B it too. BBC in Great Britain, France 24 in Paris, CBC in, in Canada. Uh, these are, you know... Basically, state-funded television networks. Never. That's not the main thing. I want. We're going to watch a clip from this uh, Russian television talk show. Now, the English subtitles are there, but for the benefit of the people who are listening to us via shortwave radio or the internet, and you're not seeing the video, you're just hearing it. Doc is going to uh, read the English subtitles. We're picking this up about halfway through the video clip that Newsweek posted. I want to set it up. What she's saying is that a year ago, Russia briefly held the, the region of Kherson, Kherson in Ukraine. Right. And that this is a territory that's extremely important to Russia. They wanted it back. But then... Because the West was giving Ukraine weapons, the Ukrainian army was able to reconquer that territory. And what she's saying here, and again, I'm just trying to paraphrase it to set this up for you. She's saying that for the Russians, this is very painful, very um, depressing, and it's got to come to an end. That's her main point. This war in Ukraine has got to come to an end. We will never stop fighting. Never. But there's too much blood. She said there's you know, too much bloodshed. And it's depressing. And the war must come to an end. Knowing that, we're going to pick it up in the middle of this video. Now you understand why she's going to say the next thing. Right. It's out of this frustration that they're not fighting Ukraine, they're fighting NATO. 
And she's saying, let's just get it over with. Let's watch. For all of you, our people to come back with our land. For us to get back Kherson. For all of it to be final and forever. I can't promise you this, but if it does not happen, you will know no peace and we'll know no peace and we will know no peace. We'll be fighting for this peace, whatever it takes, regardless of how long it takes, even if it takes longer than our lifetime. This won't be easy. It will be hard. To a certain extent, it will be catastrophic. Because these powers, the, the so-called collective West, is trying to strangle us with Ukraine's hands. It wouldn't let us and won't allow us in the future to do it as easily and painlessly as it was with Crimea. Therefore, for our side, a nuclear ultimatum is becoming inevitable with no alternative. They will not back down until they feel a lot of pain or until they realize they're about to be in a lot of pain. Any second now, for example, until they realize this is imminent, as they say, an imminent, unavoidable, creeping, immediate threat until they see it, they won't stop. There will be instructors, long-range missiles, fighter jets, and you name it, as they say. Just name whatever you want, it will be there. We'll be forced to wake up one day, like February 24th. Maybe it will also be on February 24th of another year or maybe some other date, and see that at night our President Vladimir Putin issued a statement calling things by their names. He said, hold up all this time. You've been waging war against us. It was you, not Zelensky. What Zelensky? Therefore, dear, respectable former partners, calling things by their names, you are waging war against us. And we are forced to wage war against you with all that it entails. Late Zeromanovsky, God rest his soul, demanded that we strike Washington. But we don't have to. We don't have to hammer Washington. One smart man told me something I never realized. I'm not a military expert. I'm just a dumb broad. Who knows nothing about soccer? This man is a radio electronics engineer. He says, we knew it even back in Soviet times. If we were to conduct a thermonuclear explosion, a nuclear explosion hundreds of kilometers above our own territory, someplace in Siberia, nothing scary would happen on the land. There will be no nuclear winter everyone is afraid of. There won't be a horrific radiation that will kill everyone or cause cancer issues that will kill everyone. None of that will happen. What will happen is it will disable all radio electronics, everything digital, 
all of the satellites. This camera with which I am filming right now, this phone lying next to me, we will return to the year 1993. Ported phones using coins in the phone booth. Let me tell you, we lived amazingly well. I will even be glad. At least I will no longer have to explain to my kids why everyone else has gadgets except for them. I forbid my kids to have gadgets. That's a separate topic. At least that will be a load off. Every time they come back from school and complain, everyone has iPhones and iPads, but we don't, then I'll tell them no one has any. This option is out there, and it's the most humane one. This is the most vegetarian of all options. I don't see any other outcome except for something like this. Whether I like it or not, and there we go. That actually, she recorded that. That was back in October of last year. And uh, Russian Media Monitor has been recirculating this clip over the past day. Why? Why? Well, that makes it even more ominous. Right. Because she said February 24, maybe another year. Yes. Well, another year would be now. Yes. And February 24 is coming up next, next week. S- next what? When, uh, Saturday. Next Saturday. Oh, great. I'm flying that day. <laughs> We may really be flying, Doc. Um, let's go over. I, I made some brief notes. She said it's becoming um, obvious that a nuclear ultimatum is becoming inevitable. Right. Did Putin deliver a nuclear ultimatum, an EMP ultimatum to, the, to NATO? Did he deliver one in the past three weeks? You need to take this very seriously, folks. You will not hear this analysis anywhere else until people, other podcasters, watch True News and then have something to say. But we're the the original ones. I believe that the Russians have issued a nuclear EMP attack ultimatum to the United States. She said they, meaning the West, NATO, they won't stop. They will not stop in Ukraine. They will not stop moving against the Russians until they know that there is an imminent, unavoidable unavoidable threat. Did the Russians issue a nuclear ultimatum? She said, until we do it, they won't stop. Then she said, February 24th, that's the anniversary yes. of the start of the war in the year 2022. Now, I didn't know that she made this last year. Yes. She said, it could be this February or another year. Right. So the this February that was coming up was the date next week. Or it could be a year from now. Maybe 2025. Does it sound familiar? Spring of 2025? Mm-hmm. That's come up on various timelines to, uh, from the Germans. To but the I Russians. don't know if the Russians are going to wait a year. I don't think so. Not with uh, everyone in Congress and the White House now scurrying around on this news that's come out. 
She said, speaking to the West, to NATO, you are waging a war against us, and we are now forced to wage a war against you. Uh, she mentioned uh, Vladimir Zaranovsky, the Russian politician, um, very flamboyant, colorful Who suggested man. nuking And Washington. he suggested nuking Washington, D.C. to end the standoff. Uh, then she brought up a, a friend who was a radio engineer. This is where everybody's getting this wrong. Yes. The analysis that everybody's seeing out there, including Newsweek, they believe that what this woman said was uh, Russia should detonate a nuclear bomb in Siberia. No, that's, that's not, not what she said. No. What she said was a friend of mine said in the Soviet days, we knew that if we detonated a bomb, a nuclear bomb above that's what she's. I wrote it down. Yes. Hundreds of kilometers above, nothing will happen on the land. Right. She did not say, let's, let's demonstrate our power by blowing up Siberia. No. She's it, saying, we, know, we have known for decades. And the radio engineer was saying, let's say if something like this happened over Siberia, everything in Siberia, all electronics would be gone. Right. The only thing I disagree with her on, on is it wouldn't set things back to, to 1993. 1893. Yes, you're going yes. back to 1893. She obviously doesn't understand that part. But she also said something else in there, too. She said this is the most humane solution. Mm-hmm. And I, have to, I, I, I really can't argue with her logic on that. Doc, she's wearing, she's wearing a Christian cross. The Russian Orthodox Christians in the government are dealing with the moral issue of killing 350 million Americans. That's why she said it. It would be humane to only do an EMP attack. And set North and, America back to the 19th century. And then they, their consciences would say to themselves, we did not kill anybody. They killed themselves. They killed themselves because they had no food, no water. All society disappeared. Um, God have mercy on us. God have mercy on us as a nation. Uh, for 25 years, I've been on this program telling people that this day is coming. Uh, I'm not surprised by it. The only thing I'm surprised by is that it's taken 25 years. Because when, when the Lord called me to this ministry and <clears throat> showed me America on fire and that vision that I had in April of 1998, I... I just thought it was going to happen any day. That it was imminent. Oh, it was imminent in my, you know, as Jeremiah said, my my bones are on fire. Right. I, I've got to preach. I've got to tell people. Man, I was, if you had seen me in 98, 99, Doc, man, I was, you know, my hair was on fire. It's like, it's going to happen, Doc. It's going to happen. It could be next week. That's how real it was to me. That vision terrified me of what I saw. And then my my daughter having the dream on the same night, 
of us surrounded by skeletons and pointing their finger at me saying, if you knew this was going to happen, why didn't you tell us? So I've spent 26 years, 25 in media, one year before media. I've spent 26 years telling you. And my hands are clean. God cannot say I didn't warn people. Because that has frightened me more than anything else. That frightens me more, Doc, than the dying in a nuclear war. What frightens me more is not being killed in a nuclear war. What frightens me more is standing in front of Almighty God and Him saying, you didn't tell anybody. Right. I told you and you didn't tell anybody. That's worse than a nuclear blast. Doc, I had years ago, I had a meeting here in Vero Beach. I called uh, together a, a, a group of pastors. And I'll tell you when it was. It was uh, 2011. And um, I had, you know, I don't remember, maybe 20, 20, 30 pastors came, gave them a little lunch and everything. And, and you know, everything was going great in the meeting until I told them the vision. Now, they were nodding. I mean, I was getting really serious about the threat we were facing. I'm watching the body language. They're nodding. They're in agreement. America could be judged. America could face – I mean, they they were agreeing. But when I told them the vision, that did it. Suddenly, pastors had to – they had to get back to the office. Man, they they, they cleared out of that room so fast – and I remember walking with a pastor who was trying to get to his car, and he he, whispered, he almost whispered to me. It's a local pastor. I don't know if he's still here, but he almost whispered to me. So nobody else heard. He said, "Rick, a couple years ago, I had a dream like that too, and I haven't told anybody about it." Well, there you go. There have probably been a lot of pastors and preachers. You better believe it. You better believe it. Well, here's one. Here's one that didn't keep his mouth shut. And God has kept me in front of the world for 25 years. Not because this is a pretty face that people need to see, but because this is a message you need to hear. And he found someone willing to do it. Not afraid. Not afraid what's going to happen to my reputation, what's going to happen to my career, what's going to happen to my income. If I go around here telling people, God showed me a vision of America on fire, people put me in a street jacket. No, I'm more afraid of God putting me in the fires of hell. So I've told everybody. And it looks like there's an EMP attack coming, and... Uh, some congressmen today were told about it. That's my guess. Because what this RT executive editor said, they're not going to stop fighting us until they're so scared they know there's not going to be a tomorrow. And she used the word imminent threat. Until the until West, there's an imminent threat. An imminent threat. And what were we told today? That there was an imminent security threat. Yes. But don't worry about it. <laughs> that they're talking out both sides of their mouth. There's an uh, there's an imminent security. But don't threat. be afraid. But don't be afraid. We got a steady hand on the wheel. Remember my uh, John Speaker Johnson out there. We got a steady hand on the wheel. Don't, jo- Joe don't Biden. Worry. No, no, the uh, Speaker of the House. 
Yeah, Mike Johnson. Okay. He's saying, we've got a steady hand on the wheel. Well, who's well, who, the steady who's hand? Who's the steady hand? Joe Biden. Is Joe Biden the steady hand? I have to, not after he Johnson criticized Biden just an hour before, saying that you know he he can't operate anymore. So who is the steady hand operating the world? Is it artificial intelligence? Is it it, it can't be Defense Secretary Austin because he's back in the uh, hospital with severe bladder problems. So who is no, they that just, steady uh, hand? They just released him. Oh, he's, they did. He's, yes, he's okay. out. But we don't know if he's back to work. American Reserves is offering the True News audience 15% discount off your entire order for the next uh, several weeks until February 29. And the promo code is True News. Go to AmericanReserves.com, enter True News in the promo code box. It will automatically reduce your uh, checkout by 15%. Here's our A message from a True News partner, Jake. Jake the welder, Jake the blacksmith. Okay, go back. I'm Jake, but my friends call me Musha. I'm a blacksmith, and I like to work with my hands. I watch True News, and it's apparent to me that we are in World War III, and the U.S. is very unstable. I have faith in God. But he expects us to use our brains and our hands to prepare for trouble times. There are two things we need, food and water. That's why I buy my supplies from AmericanReserves.com. American Reserves offers easy-to-prepare chicken and beef meals, pastas, soups, and vegetables that only need boiling water. You can purchase the world-famous British Burkefield gravity-fed water filters equipped with Dalton ceramic candles and other emergency supplies at AmericanReserves.com. My family's security is critical to me. Something big is coming. Procrastination could be costly. Act today before a crisis suddenly appears. Be ready. Be wise. Go to AmericanReserves.com. Jake is not an actor. He's a real guy. Yeah, a real man. He's a real man. Um, We call him Moose Jaw. And uh, he's a welder. He's a blacksmith. And he is a true news uh, friend and supporter. Uh, You know, Doc, I was was thinking as I was watching, Jake did a really good job for American Reserves. I wonder how many more people out there that you have purchased American Reserves products how many of you could record a commercial just like Jake? Jake's not an actor. Right. He just said what he believes. Right. Okay. You, you were in his shop. That's his, his shop. That's not a, that's, uh, that's not a, there were no props. That's, re, that's literally his backyard. How many of you could record a commercial for American Reserves? I'll pass it on to him. I bet we got a lot of people out there that could do this. Just be yourself, be real, and help others cross that line of procrastination and go, you know what? He's right. We are in World War III. We're in a heap of trouble. We better get some food and supplies built up really fast. Well, again, American Reserves, 15% discount, promo code, True News. The promo ends on February 29. Of course, America may end on February 24. 
Wall Street Journal, this is number six. Wall Street Journal, Putin says Russia prefers Biden over Trump in the U.S. election. Uh, this is, uh, um, these are mind games. Yes. That's all this is. Yeah, we'll take, we'll take old senile Grandpa Joe. Oh, he's probably telling the truth. They can, he's predictable, is what Putin said. Yeah, predictable that he's that he's not going to know where he's at. <laughs> yes. right? um, but no, that's, that's just Putin did not endorse Biden. He's just messing with everybody's heads right now. You know, he also said in that interview that uh, he was disappointed in Tucker Carlson's uh, interview. With yeah, him. he he said yeah. he didn't ask the tough questions. Uh, Putin said he prepared many hours for the Tucker Carlson interview and basically a waste of time to, to prepare because Tucker Carlson didn't ask him any tough questions. Um, I don't know how that makes Tucker look. Um, but it, I guess it doesn't matter to Tucker. He got the publicity he wanted. I guess some... Uh, uh, troubling videos I'm going to show you coming out of Gaza. Uh, Herod um, Netanyahu the Great is is uh, planning a, another Palestinian holocaust in Rafah. And they've already started some of their operations. Uh, so last night they started shelling the Nasser uh, the Egyptian hospital, the Nasser Hospital in Gaza, in Rafah, by the Egyptian border. And uh, tanks broke through all the walls of the hospital. Yes. And snipers were shooting people in the parking lot of the hospital. And troops went into the hospital and began shooting doctors and patients, anybody that they believe were Hamas supporters in a hospital. Who shoots people in hospital? Zionists. Yes. Zionists. Only Zionists would go into a hospital and shoot people. I've never heard of this in my entire life. Doc, I can't think of one time where a military operation, troops went into hospitals and shot people. But that's exactly what's happening in southern Gaza right now. Not. It's happening now. Because the Zionists do not believe Palestinians are human. In fact, they don't believe you're human. If you really want to know the truth, they think you and I are subhuman. That's the truth. We're goyim. We're subhuman. They are superior. If they're the chosen people, we're the unchosen people. That's right. And, we, and they can do to us anything that they desire to do. So I'm going to show you some very troubling video. Uh, this first one, well, I'll, I'll show you a clip from Sky News early this morning in, in London as they were reporting to the people in Great Britain uh, about the snipers attacking people in the hospital parking lot and in the uh, courtyard. Let's watch. 
The Nasser Hospital is the biggest hospital in southern Gaza that was still operational. And for the last three and a half weeks, it has been the site of intensive fighting all around it. We've seen uh, snipers uh, killing people in the courtyard just outside the hospital. There was horrific video that came to us in the last couple of days of a man dragging himself in who'd been hit by a sniper and medical staff so scared to go near the actual door that they were sort of creeping around um, to, to get him onto a stretcher to try and make sure they weren't hit themselves. Uh, there have not been appropriate supplies getting through um, to medics there. There have been about 450 patients, about 300 doctors, and uh, uh, around 10,000 displaced who have been using the NASA shel uh, hospital for shelter. A growing number of people are becoming um, repulsed by the, the aggressive, uh, revengeful mentality and, and actions of the Zionists. But why did it take four months for that to happen? Because they had to work through the propaganda. <clears throat> there are too many videos of children dead, children blown up, children hanging on rebar. There's too many videos. And... There has been decades of propaganda saying you cannot criticize Israel. You cannot criticize Jewish people. You cannot criticize Zionism. Zionism and Judaism and, and it's all the one. And you can't if you if you if you criticize Zionism, you are anti-Semitic. You're bigot. Right. You have to be banned from society. So people are having trouble with this. But they're looking at the videos and they're going this this is. This is horrific. They're shooting children in the street. They're shooting them with their mothers. And so people, it's taken from October to February for a lot of people to come to the place of where I've been for a long time. Where they're saying, this is wrong. This is, these are war crimes. You can't do this to people. This is the worst thing that's ever happened to Zionism. They will never recover never recover. There has been a sea change in world opinion about Israel and Zionism. Yes. I don't want to hear any Zionists talk about anti-Semitism or, oh, blow it out your ear. I don't care. You people kill children. You Zionists kill children. Wall Street Journal says the Biden-Netanyahu relationship is at a boiling point as Rafa invasion looms. Well, Joe, cut off the weapons. Cut off the money. If, you're, if your conscience is bothering you, if you're having trouble sleeping at night, cut off the supply of weapons. But he's a Zionist. Yeah, see, he has trouble with this, Doc. He's having trouble with it. I'm not a Biden supporter. But obviously, Biden's wrestling with something here. They're showing him inside the White House. They're showing him videos of what's happening, and his conscience is bothering him. Then cut off the weapons and the money. Uh, here's a report from Al Jazeera. This is a volunteer at the Nasser Hospital in Rafah. Uh, this happened, this, uh, this report is from last night as the 
Israeli attacks started last night on the hospital. Last night was very difficult. The airstrikes were so intense and hit a room of patients. Two people were killed and one of them is unidentified. He was hit by rocket fire and split in half. His lower part was inside the hospital and the other half outside the building. People were hurt, people who'd already been injured. The orthopedic department has been completely destroyed. The entire complex was in chaos. Uh, your hospital employee, a doctor, nurse, uh, orderly, whatever, what do you do with a patient that's uh, split in half? Half of them in the building, half of them out of the building. And if you go out of the building to get his other half, they shoot you. Talking about snipers. Uh, this next video uh, is about Israeli IDF snipers shooting people trying to leave the hospital this is not the first time that they've done this they've been doing it ever since this war started i've been telling people they shoot people when they try to get out of the hospital they start shooting the hospital and then when people try to flee the hospital they shoot them coming out right let's watch so you, you, what you're seeing are people running away, okay? Right. They're trying to get out of the hospital, and you can hear the gunfire. This man is, let's go ahead and read. The situation now in the Sarah Hospital is very dangerous. The hospital is now completely surrounded by the occupation forces. Anyone exiting Alna Sarah Hospital is directly targeted by the occupation snipers. Tanks are very close to the Alna Sarah Hospital. A large number of injuries and martyrs are lying on the ground, and no one is able to rescue them. The situation is very dangerous in Khan Yunus. We ask God for everyone's safety. All right, I'm going to play this again with the full volume so you can hear, uh, you can hear the gunfire at the hospital. Let's watch. <laughs> الله <تصفيق> In a previous clip, the uh, volunteer that we uh, had uh, from the Al Jazeera report mentioned about the orthopedic uh, section of the Al Nasir Hospital being completely destroyed. We actually have video from those that are... This is the moment when the orthopedic department at the Nasir Hospital in Khan Yunus was attacked. As you can see, it's total chaos inside. Uh, you can hardly see with all the dust and smoke and everything that's going on, but utter destruction. Hospital beds uh, basically blown into. Uh, the, the lighting grid is down. Emergency lights are on. Patients, uh, patients lying there in the chaos. Right. Uh, in the orthopedic department. And they're, they're uh, totally unable to move. And so there are, uh, you know, there's a gentleman there. Uh, who's obviously injured 
And so this is what was happening. Imagine being in a situation like this, in darkness. You're in the hospital trying to get healing for yourself, and then someone comes in and tries to kill you with a bomb. Um, and so this was a direct targeting of the orthopedic hosp- uh, section of the Nasser Hospital. It wasn't an accident. It didn't. We didn't misfire. Uh, Hamas didn't blow it up themselves. No, the IDF targeted this portion of the hospital on purpose. Uh, they're just, you know, uh, no question about this. And so they don't care, Doc. No, they don't. They don't care, care how many people call them names. They don't care how many people uh, demand justice and say they should be prosecuted for war crimes. They don't care. They don't care. They're the Jews. They can do anything they want. They can kill children. Nobody has the power on earth to stop them. Yes. Nobody but Almighty God. That's the only one who can stop them. Their day is coming. You can't, you can't do these things to humans and get away with it. Another video here of the attack. This is from uh, Dr. Muhammad Harara. And uh, what I'm going to do is we'll show the video first uh, with the captions. I'll read the captions, and then uh, we'll play it again here in just a moment. So, But, but let's uh, watch it first, and then we'll run it again with the captions. And what you saw there was inside the Nasser Hospital, there the other chaos that's going on. We're going to play a portion of that clip again. I'll read the captions here for you so you can hear the terror that's being done. Is there anyone still inside? Is there anyone still inside? Gunfire, gunfire, duck. Duck, everyone. Guys, get out. Get out. And that's the end of the available captions there at that point. This man's a young doctor. Yes. Can you imagine being in this in this uh, situation, Doc, as a doctor? It's just, I mean, it's hard for us to comprehend it. But you look at the images and say... What is it about these doctors and nurses? What is it inside of them that says, I'm going into that hospital today? Think, think what that decision-making process is. It'd be so easily, so easy to, to get out, go away, and do something else. But they go into the fire. Doc, my admiration for doctors and nurses have, has climbed so much since this war. I have never seen anything like this. 
I've never seen attacks on hospitals, but I've never seen such bravery and devotion as I've seen from the Palestinian doctors and nurses. They stay with the patients. They stay with them. They stay in the hospitals. They know eventually they're going to be blown up. I've lost count over the last five months how many photographs I have seen on Twitter, pictures of surgeons and doctors and cardiologists and heart surgeons, and, and, and it says he was, di- he was killed today. Yes. Such human, a waste of human lives. A waste of human lives. But the Israelis don't care because they're like, there's not going to be a Gaza left when we're done. It doesn't matter. We're, we, if, if Netanyahu gets his, old, his, his way, everybody there dies. Everybody. Right. He's a madman. He's demon-possessed. I really believe the man is demon-possessed. I really do. He's crazy. He's absolutely crazy. He's, he's the most whacked-out, dangerous, crazy politician on the planet right now. I can't think of anybody else who's crazier than Netanyahu. Um, we, we've got, I've got just a few minutes here. Um, these are Palestinian premature babies left behind at the Nasser Hospital. All what, what's left of them? Yes. Folks, look at this. Premies. Decomposing bodies of premature babies. This is what the um, glorious chosen people do to premature babies. They kill them. I detest Zionism. And I will have nothing to do with anybody who supports Zionism. I want nothing to do with you. Nothing. I don't want to be in the same room with you if you support Zionism. Um, do we have... Uh, oh, All right, we're going to show you this next one really quick. I got one minute to show you. This is a clip from an Israeli TV show. And they're talking about... Uh, all children over age of four, they you know they should be eliminated because they're terrorists. But right. you know we will allow the ones four and under, we'll allow them to live. Watch. A word in favor, God. A word in His favor, and a word in your favor. Maybe a little different from what you said. There are no uninvolved civilians in Gaza. There is no such thing. Look, you're right. In Gaza, everyone is involved. Everyone voted Hamas. Anyone over the age of four is a Hamas supporter. And our goal at the moment, and this is in continuation of what you said, is to turn them from Hamas supporters into Hamas dislikers. And the way is supplying the humanitarian aid through us. Okay, so look, regarding the uninvolved. Every house in Gaza is a Hamas HQ, weapons, Al-Aqsa, everything, all the signs are there. And still, how did you say children from the age of zero to four? They are uninvolved? Maybe when they grow up, they will be. In the meantime, you cannot starve them. They are children. There's nothing to do. There is also against our interests. They're trying to justify it. Yes. But you got those four-year-old terrorists running, running around in Gaza, don't you? Maybe we'll let the four-year-olds and under live, but the rest of them we're going to kill. Got to take a break. Morning manna coming up. 
You're listening to WWCR International Shortwave Radio. You can find True News on frequency 12.160 from 12 p.m. to 4 p.m. Eastern and on frequency 4.840 from 10 p.m. to 2 a.m. Eastern. Connect with us on Rumble, Facebook, X, and Getter. Welcome back. Part two of True News. Morning Manna will be coming up in about eight to ten minutes. Uh, We're teaching from Matthew chapter five, the Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount. And I really encourage you to watch every lesson. It probably will take me uh, all of next week to to get through it. That's what I'm guessing at at the pace that we're going. Right. Um, By the way, uh, the following week, we will be traveling. And so there will not be a morning manna from February 26 through March 1st. Yes, that's correct. Because we will be in Europe attending the Mobile World Congress. Uh, We've not traveled since uh, COVID days. And I felt that it's time for us to get back out there and see what they are talking about. And let me tell you one of the topics at Mobile World Congress this year. It's 5, excuse me, it's 6G. 6G. 6G, artificial intelligence, and spatial computing. Yes. So, folks, you're all trying to get adjusted to 5G. They're working on 6G. And we're, we're going to the Mobile World Congress uh, like we used to. We were years ahead in telling people what was coming in terms of technology. We took a break because of COVID, and we just never went back to traveling again. Right. But I felt that the Lord was saying, it is time to get out there and Learn about what the Antichrist forces are putting together to enslave the people of the world. Yes, and another topic that several sessions are about are about human interface with technology. Yes. Well, we heard Klaus Schwab. Yes. What he said last week at the World Governments. Plural. They changed it. A very slight, subtle change. For years, it was... The World Government Summit. And I noticed last week that on the wall, the signage was plural. Yes, World Governments, world governments. Plural. plural. So plural. I think what they're trying to say is that this is a World Summit of Governments. Yes. But that's not the original purpose. It was World Government. Or they didn't know how to spell for years. <laughs> Well, All right. Hey, some news uh, real quick to look at this. I'm, not, I'm just going to get through it quickly. Washington Post. The United States and Arab nations plan for post-war Gaza timeline for Palestinian state. This is amazing. If anything good has come out of this horror, horror in Gaza, it looks like there may be a free and independent nation of Palestine. And I am um, excited and grateful to see it. a lot of suffering. Uh, to bring this about. Um, But I'm not going to go into the details. The Washington Post uh, saying that the Biden administration is going to make an announcement. They're actually going to recognize a Palestinian state like in the next two weeks. It's hard to believe this is happening, Doc. I'll believe it when I see it. I know. I know. But again, the, the Zionists overplayed their hand. They overplayed their hand. They've actually, they're forcing the world. See, 
the, the narrative after World War II is that the world was shocked by what Hitler did to the Jews. Right. And they created the state of Israel. Well, now the world is shocked by what the Jews have done to the Palestinians. And to relieve their conscience, they're creating a Palestinian state. That's the way I see this thing going down. But I just don't see Israel letting that happen at all. No. They'll start a conflict with Iran to, to prevent that. I mean. Uh, yes, I believe that they want that. I, I, don't think, I don't think Biden wants to go for it. I think they're going to try to play his hand to force it. But, Doc, don't rule out. Zionism is not monolithic. There are factions. Everything has factions. So there are different groups inside world Zionism. Netanyahu has enemies inside Zionism. I think the other side of Zionism, call it the left, whatever you want to call it, secular Zionism, whatever you want to call it, I think they're horrified by what he's done. They know. They know that their image is, is destroyed. He's, he's hurt the brand. He has hurt the brand. They spent years building the Zionism brand, and now in five months he's destroyed it. And the Lubavitchers have basically taken over. Yes, yes, the the ones that pop out of Brooklyn manhole covers. Right. Why is it? Why why can't Hamas dig tunnels, but Lubavitchers can? Why? If Hamas digs a tunnel, that's bad. But if a Chabad Lubavitcher digs a tunnel, that's good. Never trust a rabbi who comes out of a manhole cover. A rabbi hole. A rabbi hole. So, it looks like they're going to um, announce... The the Palestinian state's not going to come into existence right away. But, Doc, I I think the secular... Jews are going to somehow remove Netanyahu. They've got to get control of of the state of Israel. Uh, the the craziest, most radical thing is that they move Israel to Ukraine. That's the craziest thing. And it may be that they don't move Israel. It may be that the secular Jews move themselves to Ukraine. What if there's like a split in Zionism? And the Zionists, the, the, the leftists and more secular Jews say to Netanyahu, you stay here and fight the Palestinians. We're going to Ukraine. We're starting a new country. Two Jewish states? Yes. Yes. Well, it'd be three if you count the U.S. Yes. So. But a secular Jewish state in Ukraine. That's a possibility. Remember, they were on the verge of civil war before October 7th. Right. I don't think over the very issue of yes. what we're talking about now, the extremists on you know within the Shabbat. You, you cannot reason with the Chabad Lubavitchers, the the Orthodox radical rabbis. You can't reason with them. Even the Jews can't reason with them. So maybe they're going to throw up their hands and just say, "You guys stay here. You fight the Arabs." We're going, to We're going to Ukraine and start another country, and we will make sure in our Constitution that this never happens again. Maybe they will have a secular Constitution and ensure that 
radical Chabad Lupovichers never get elected to any office in the new Israel? I don't know. Something is about to happen. It's an amazing time to be alive and to watch this happen. The greatest thing that's going to happen is Jesus Christ coming back. And right now we're going to go to Morning Manna, and I hope you hang around for the next 45 minutes. Be blessed as you learn about the Sermon on the Mount. Are you concerned about this economic storm and how your IRA and 401k will fare during these turbulent times? Top experts are predicting now is the time to be protecting your assets with physical gold and silver. Find out why Genesis Gold Group is the number one recommended company by your favorite preppers and homestead channels. Receive Genesis Gold Group's free definitive gold guide today or give them a call at 800-200-GOLD. Let's pray. Dear Gracious Father, we come to you with thanksgiving and praise and adoration and worship. We come in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Thank you for giving us life today, Father. We are blessed. We woke up. We're alive. We're healthy. We're blessed. Thank you, Father. Our sins are forgiven. Our names are written in your book of life. And you are our Father. Life can't be any better. We thank you, Father. Father, we invite the Holy Spirit who is ever with us, your promise that you gave to Abraham. You gave us the promise of the Holy Spirit, and we received the Holy Spirit when we were born again. And we ask that the Holy Spirit would lead and direct this morning manna Bible class, instruct us, teach us, illuminate us to understand the kingdom of God and to see with our spiritual eyes, the greatness of our King and His Majesty, our Lord Jesus Christ. In His name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, good morning, everyone. We have uh, 16 countries that have checked in this morning here for Morning Manna. We appreciate you taking time out of your schedule, no matter where you are in the world, to join us today. We continue our study today here on Morning Manna in Matthew chapter 5, uh, the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. And we are going to be focusing on the Beatitudes today and tomorrow, probably in the next week from the looks of it here. So uh, right now, we're just uh, going to be reading Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. And it says, yes. uh, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Amen. Hey, first of all, a, um, a correction. I, I misspoke yesterday. I meant to say that there are eight Beatitudes, but some Bible teachers only recognize seven. Instead, I said that there are nine Beatitudes, but some teachers only recognize eight. I told you I was never good at math. <laughs> so there are eight Beatitudes, okay? And we're going we're gonna to learn all eight of them in this class. Uh, verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So in verse 2, it says Jesus opened his mouth. This is on the mountain. He went up on the mountain. He called his disciples to him. The multitude of the people are still down at the bottom of the mountain. Jesus opened his mouth, and, and he began his discourse with the word blessed. 
Now, the King James translators translated the Greek word makarios into English as blessed. But the better definition of makarios is happy. Right. So let's read the first beatitude this way. Happy are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Do you desire to be happy? Yes, of course. Our king is the happy king. Our God is the happy God. Few people see Jesus as happy. Few people think of God our Father as the happy God. Your soul will be lifted up and encouraged when you insert happy for blessed in other scriptures. For example, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 11 in the King James says, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God. So let's read it again. With happy replacing blessed, according to the glorious gospel of a happy God. Which version do you like better? I like that one. Which version brings a smile to your face? Most people do not see God as happy. They see him as stern. But your life will change when you realize you serve a happy God. And he desires you to be happy. When we know that our Heavenly Father is a happy God, we desire to never live our lives in a way that makes him unhappy. That, that troubles me, grieves me. I don't want anything that I do or say or think to make my happy father unhappy about me. If, if Jesus, if I lived in the time that Jesus walked the earth and I had been blessed to be one of his disciples and called up on the mountain and he asked me, you know, before going up there, hey, Rick, I need you to... Uh, I need you to write a rough draft of a sermon I'm going to give. You know, my nerdy mind would have started each beatitude with the word, whereas. <laughs> <laughs> whereas the poor in spirit, you know, like a lawyer. Our happy king did not use legal language to proclaim the commandments of his kingdom. Our happy king read eight rules of his kingdom that will make us happy if we obey him. Happy are the poor in spirit. Happy are those who mourn. Happy are the meek. Happy are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Happy are the merciful. Happy are those who are pure in heart. Happy are the peacemakers. Happy are the persecuted. He said nothing about doing or possessing anything to be happy. Right. Everything is about being, not doing. His emphasis is on character. The condition of our hearts, the attitude of our minds. 
kingdom-minded character will produce happiness in this world. Our Western-oriented minds can easily hinder us from understanding the Sermon on the Mount because we are action-oriented people. Westerners, especially Americans, equate happiness with rewards. If I do something, I'll get something. When I get it, I'll be happy. I do, I get. That's the way we think. It's a reward-based happiness. Rewards based on actions. In the kingdom, <clears throat> happiness, <clears throat> excuse, happiness is not rewarded from God for doing the right things for him. He does not reward us with happiness because we did something for him that pleased him. Our father does not treat us like a dog who receives a treat if it rolls over or lifts its paw. A dog will perform on command to receive a biscuit in order to be happy. How do you know when your dog is happy? He wags his tail. God does not give us happy treats so that we'll wag our tails. Our happiness in the kingdom is not based on our actions. We are happy when our character conforms with his character. I know Christians whose happiness is external. They have no inner happiness, no inner peace and contentment. Their happiness depends on external conditions, factors, circumstances, experiences. Satan takes full advantage of their way of thinking and living. And so Satan gives them plenty of external conditions, factors, circumstances, and experiences to make them perpetually unhappy and miserable. Right. Oftentimes, such people are easily offended. The slightest thing said or done will offend them, and they'll go through the rest of the day offended. And they live in that state of offense. Yes. Satan has robbed their happiness because something external changed their internal being. They allow Satan to condition their minds to start each day looking for the next offense. And so they continuously live in a state of being offended by what somebody said or did or did not say or do. Their happiness depends on how other people talk and behave. Yes. Jesus says our happiness depends on who we are in him. If you are not happy today, it is because you are allowing outside external forces to shape and determine your state of mind. So Jesus gave us eight rules for happiness in his kingdom. Our human carnal minds think that our surroundings and circumstances must change before we can be happy. 
If God would give me a new job, I would be happy. Mm. No, you wouldn't. If God, if God would change my spouse, I would be happy. No, you wouldn't. If God, if God would increase my income, I would be happy. If God would heal my body, I would be happy. If God gave me a boat, I would be happy. Jesus does not create happiness in us by changing our employment, our homes, our incomes, or our spouses. We say to him, Lord, change my surroundings and conditions of my life, and I will be happy in you. He says to us, be happy in me by obeying my commandments, and your surroundings and conditions will change. Yes, that, there, you got it. The happiness comes first. The changes in conditions come second. By changing your attitude, your conditions will change. Some of you are living in a mental prison and you've got the key to your cell. You've locked yourself in a prison cell and you're holding the key. And you go through each day miserable, unhappy, unfulfilled, waiting on something to change, waiting on somebody else to change. When God is saying, you change, you be happy. And the way to happiness are these eight Beatitudes. See, it comes down to do we want to submit to him? Do we want to agree with him? Well, or don't you have another set of rules? I don't like these rules. <laughs> <laughs> give me, give me another eight. Do you have He's not giving us another eight. <laughs> What's that, Doc? Do, do you have any other any other options available? All right. Look, look in that uh, suitcase. See what you got. Look in your briefcase. You have another eight rules. I, I don't like these eight. I don't want to do them. Okay, you don't want to be happy. It's just as simple as that. You don't want to be happy. Some of you are absolutely convinced that your spouse is the source of your unhappiness. You waste every day talking to yourself, to God, and to anybody who will listen to you about all the things your spouse does or does not do that makes you unhappy, makes you miserable. Perhaps your spouse is all the things you think and say he or she is. You are not going to change him or her. Only God can change another person's heart, mind, words, and behavior. The more you tell your spouse how rotten he or she is, the more that person subconsciously conforms to the negative image you have declared him or her to be. He or she may not behave that way with others, but will behave that way with you because that's the image you have defined him or her to be. Did I hear ouch? <laughs> I heard a chorus of ouch, oh my. It, it, some of you, you can't even believe, you can't even comprehend that when your spouse is not with you, he or she is a completely different person, well-liked by people. 
It's only when he or she is with you that they act differently. Well, who's got the problem? Maybe you need to become happy. Why don't you surprise your spouse today and be happy? See what happens. Go 30 days being happy. Being happy in Christ. If you stay with me over these next several days, we're going to go through all eight Beatitudes and we're going to learn together the way to happiness. Not temporary, superficial, man-made happiness, but real, eternal, God-given happiness. You know, it's, there's a possibility that your spouse is not the rotten monster you've declared him or her to be. It's possible that you build up a mountain of bitterness and resentment against your spouse, and you can't see the good qualities in your spouse because you are offended by something he or she did 10 or 20 years ago. Right, that you just can't get out of your craw. Right, and Satan is robbing you of your happiness. So we say to God, change my spouse and I will be happy. God says to us, you be happy in me by obeying my commandment and I'll change your spouse. We don't like that that formula. We want we want God to do it our way. Right. God does not. Yes. Go ahead, Doc. I was just going to say it's just classic blame shifting, and you know it's 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 nothing we do. That this is our the way we think about it. It's nothing yes. we do. It's somebody else's problem. Just sort of like Biden the other day when he was talking about the classified documents in his garage. My staff put them there. Well, that's just blaming somebody else. Uh, Who took them home? That's right. And so, uh, but this blame shifting that goes on with a lot of us is because we can't deal with the fact that we're hollow inside. We're empty. Uh, When you, if you ask a lot of people, honestly, are you happy? The answer for most of them is no, They're, they're not happy. And so, but Christ has given us a pathway to happiness, and that's to be happy, not to, uh, uh, you know, uh, blame our lack of happiness on someone else. Where we want to go, where we want to exist spiritually, is to have happiness even when we are living in very unpleasant circumstances. Right. God does not change our environment to make us happy. The Holy Spirit changes our hearts and minds to allow us to choose to be happy in Christ. Happiness is dependent on our character, not our external conditions. Happiness is not a reward. It is a natural inner condition of our soul when we rest in Christ, obey him and conform to his image. Happiness is a, is a natural byproduct. Happiness will come into our hearts and minds when we submit to our king and conform to his image as presented in his great manifesto of the kingdom, the Sermon on the Mount. So before we, we delve into the eight Beatitudes, There are several things 
I want you to know. First, you cannot mix and match the Beatitudes, the ones that you like, and discard the ones you don't like. If you desire to be happy, you must accept all eight kingdom rules. Second, you cannot rearrange the order of the eight Beatitudes. You must conform to the first Beatitude before you can move on to the second beatitude and so forth. You gotta level up. Yes. You can't start at number seven and then jump to number two and then go to number ten or number eight and then go to you can't do it that way. You start at one and move it to it's in sequential order. I think they found the corn. <laughs> They're happy. <laughs> now they they just need corn to be happy. That's all they that's all they ask for. Just have morning corn. Um, so third, there are two sets of characteristics in the first seven beatitudes. The first four beatitudes are passive. The last three are active. The fourth, the four passive characteristics are poor in spirit. Mourners, meekness, hungering and thirsting for righteousness. The three active beatitudes are merciful, pure in heart, and peacemakers. And the eighth is the automatic byproduct of possessing the first seven. So our verse today, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Our happy king starts his divine discourse by revealing to his disciples that to be happy in his kingdom, we must first be poor in spirit. <clears throat> we automatically recoil when we hear the word poor. Nobody desires to be poor. The first thing that comes out of the mouth of Jesus is an instruction to become poor so that you can become happy. Well, that doesn't make sense. So let's break it down to understand him. What does Jesus mean when he tells us to become poor in spirit? Does he desire our spirits to be poverty stricken? How can a state of spiritual poverty lead us to happiness? And what does it mean to be poor in spirit? Well, let's begin by defining what it means not to be poor in spirit. The man or woman who is not poor in spirit, spirit is self-reliant, independent of God, rebellious, stubborn, troublesome, unteachable, proud, most importantly, the person who is not poor in spirit is self-righteous. Yes. They are rich in spirit. What does it mean to be poor in spirit? Alexander McLaurin said it is having a lowly and just estimate of ourselves, our character, our achievements, based upon a clear 
recognition of our own necessities, weaknesses, and sins. In our modern age, where many evangelical preachers extol the virtues of positive thinking and positive confession, having a lowly estimate of ourselves, our character, and our achievements, it just doesn't sound appealing. I mean, if you put on a on a, a you know a church sign. This Sunday sermon, how to be poor in spirit. Or how to be and poor. Church, <laughs> or just how to be poor. And the church across the street, their church sign says, how to be somebody. How to achieve your greatness. Where will the crowd go? Which church is going to attract the biggest audience? We don't want to be taught how to be poor in spirit, and yet that is the source of our happiness. Yes. If the core definition of a person who is not poor in spirit means having an attitude of self-righteousness, the opposite is true of the person who is poor in spirit. A person who is poor in spirit is a man or woman who knows that he or she is a wretched sinner doomed to hell without Jesus Christ, apart from God. The person who is poor in spirit knows he or she desperately needs a Savior. The person who is poor in spirit recognizes that he or she must be in submission to King Jesus and be willing to be governed by him. Now, the person who is rich in spirit is the man or woman with bloated self-esteem. They measure their worth by their net worth, their possessions, their occupations, their achievements, their titles, their degrees, their family pedigrees, their social status, the number of followers they have on social media and Everything of value to them is external and temporal. They do not acknowledge even to themselves that they come from dust and will return to dust. Yes. They look down on people, social status, income, titles, degrees, achievements, social status, whatever. They, they would never allow themselves to be seen associating with people they consider less than themselves. If there is anything that we rightfully own, I would say two things, our self-will and our sins, they belong to us. The difference between those poor in spirit and those rich in spirit is the matter of submission of their wills to King Jesus. Amen. Religion is not the issue. Many traditional denominational cathedrals and modern evangelical megachurch complexes are populated and financed by proud religious people who are rich in spirit but unwilling to submit their wills to God. 
They financed the construction of great church buildings to puff, puff up their vanity. They say to their like-minded friends and associates, do you see that great cathedral? Do you see that mega church complex? Well, I helped finance this construction. I did it for God who needs my wealth. Just the opposite for the man or woman who is poor in spirit. Such a person can be rich in worldly wealth, yet poor in spirit. Yes. You can be poor in worldly money and rich in spirit. And you can be you can be rich in worldly wealth and poor in spirit. Right. You don't have to be poor to be poor in spirit. That's right. There are many people who are poor money-wise who are rich in spirit, meaning they have pride. You know, the external... Rick, yes, go ahead. I was going to say, you and I have traveled in different parts of the world. Some of the most uh, extreme parts of the world, you've been to different places in Africa and everything. Haven't you discovered along the way that some, that some of the happiest people that you've ever known live in just the the poorest of conditions ram basically tin roof shacks dirt floors and yet they're they're they have a a peace about them a joy in the lord that can't be compared to uh and we've we've both known people with excessive wealth too that are miserable that are uh, you know they have to drink themselves to sleep every night to get any kind of peace and yet you'll go to places like Haiti and Africa and Southeast Asia where people that are barely getting by financially, and yet there's such a joy of the Lord that they know the Lord's taking care of them. That's right. I'm thinking right now, Doc, of a, a church in the bushland of Kenya that I attended. Got to preach the gospel there. Uh, it was a pole barn. Uh, it was a pole barn. It had four walls, uh, but no no window panes in the windows. The windows were open. Uh, it had a dirt floor, and it was the to this day, it was the happiest, most joyful church service I've ever attended. I remember, I remember standing there as we were singing. Joyful songs to the Lord, and there's just this happiness in the in the building. And I remember thinking to myself, I wish I could bottle this happiness, put a cork in it, and take it home to America. And when I'm not feeling happy, just uncork the bottle and let some of this African Christian joy come out. I'll never forget that experience. But financially, they were not rich. They were poor. But spiritually, they were wealthy. It's a state of mind and a state of your heart. It's internal, not external. The man or woman who is poor in spirit knows that everything he or she has came from the Creator. Yes. The poor in spirit know that without Christ in their lives, they are nothing, no matter how much they own or achieve. 
And so they live for the glory of God. They recognize that true wealth is the forgiveness of sins. The presence of the Holy Spirit in their hearts today in this life in the world and the promise of eternal life in the world to come. The poor in spirit recognize that without Jesus Christ and the forgiveness of sins, the Holy Spirit and the promise of eternal life, they would be bankrupt. No matter how much money, power and fame they possess in this world. Yes. Doc, I, I often tell, tell my Heavenly Father, in fact, I told him this morning, real early this morning, in my prayer time, just, I mean, I know, you know, I don't think of, I don't think of my Heavenly Father in terms of, of the wealth that he has. But I, I tell him, Papa, if you were a poor God, I would serve you. I would love you if you were a poor God. If you if you didn't have a palace in heaven, I would serve you. If you were in a shack, I would serve you. If if eternity is living in a shack with you, I will be happy. It's you that I desire. It's you, Father. I desire you, not what you have. It's who you are. I desire you. Amen. It's a it's having a an intimate, passionate love for your Heavenly Father, for who He is. The most awesome, loving Father in the universe. Proverbs 3.34 says, Surely He scorneth the scorners, but He giveth grace unto the lowly. James 4.6 says, But He gives more grace. Therefore it says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. The humble are poor in spirit, and the poor in spirit are humble. He gives grace unto the lowly, the humble. And But God scorns the scorners, and he resists the proud. Scorners and proud people are rich in spirit. They have bloated bladders filled with self-esteem, pride, and importance. Alexander McLaurin likens proud people to uh, a hedgehog rolled up the wrong way, <laughs> tormenting itself with its prickles. That's not the way to happiness. Jesus said, those poor in spirit shall be happy. Recall what, Je what Jesus said, Matthew 11, verse 29. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. And you shall find rest unto your souls. Jesus describes himself as meek and lowly in heart. We are to imitate our master. He is our shepherd who shows us the path to travel. Two qualities that will bring rest to our souls and happiness are meekness and lowliness in heart. Lowliness in heart is the first beatitude. Meekness is the third. You cannot obtain the happiness promised in meekness 
until you obtain the happiness found in having a state of lowliness in heart, followed by the second beatitude, they that mourn. One beatitude follows the other in sequential order. Being lowly in heart does not mean having a negative attitude, a defeated attitude. It does not mean belittling yourself. It, it means recognizing your spiritual bankruptcy without Jesus Christ in your life. Without Jesus, we are sinners who deserve damnation. It's a recognition that we are totally destitute apart from God's grace. But once you are saved, once you're forgiven, once you're brought into the family of God, now God expects you to see yourself as he sees you. In Christ, I can do all things. But apart from Christ, I, I'm, I'm a wretched sinner. Yes. King David, by far, is my favorite action hero in the Bible. Yet he saw himself as poor in spirit. He acknowledged his dependency on God. You can read in Psalm 51 what King David said. And these are selected verses. Verses 1 and 2, 6 through 12, 14 through 15. King David said to God, have mercy on me. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly. Cleanse me from my sin. Make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop. Make me to hear joy and gladness. Hide your face from my sins. Create in me a clean heart. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Yes. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Uphold me with your generous spirit. Deliver me from blood guiltiness. guiltness. Open my lips and my mouth shall show forth your praise. David knew the lowliness of heart. He knew his dependency on God. But now compare David to Job. Job vehemently argued with his friends that he was not a sinner. Yes, I've done no wrong. <laughs> over and over, I didn't do anything wrong. Yes. It's not until we get to chapter 38 that we start seeing a change on Job. By the time we get to chapter 42, we read Job saying, therefore I have uttered what I did not understand. Things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. The old boy started to have an attitude adjustment about himself. Right. And got a B attitude adjustment. Yes. And then God restored everything. We are poor in spirit when we come to the realization that we are spiritually bankrupt without God's grace, forgiveness, and salvation. We are poor in spirit when we submit our will to God's will. We are poor in spirit when we confess that all that we own and possess in this life 
came from God and still belongs to him. See, some people will recognize that what they have came from God, but they don't believe it belongs to him now. No, you have to you have to know that you are a steward. You're taking care of the physical things God has put in your hands, but it's still his property. Your house belongs to God. Your car belongs to God. Your bank account belongs to God. He's he didn't loan it to you. He's he's entrusting you to use his property. But it's his property. We are poor in spirit when we admit that we are unworthy to be in his presence because of our sins, but we are graciously welcomed into his family because of his goodness. Right. We are poor in spirit when we truly know that we are dependent on God for everything in life. When we are poor in spirit, we will be happy. And when we have reached this stage, being poor in spirit, we are qualified to move on to the second beatitude. Happy are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. What does it mean to mourn? Are we supposed to sit in sackcloth and ashes? beat our chest, pull our hair out and cry in order to be happy? Is is that what the Lord is telling us? Well, come back tomorrow and I'll give you the answer. Leave us hanging there, Rick. Yep, that's it for today. <laughs> All right. Well, we appreciate you joining us today for this edition of Morning Manna and I had 20 countries that checked in today with us and uh, I hope you're really being blessed by this. If you are, we would certainly appreciate you not only praying for us, but also consider an offering here to help uh, extend this ministry and continue uh, giving uh, Rick and I the opportunity to share through Morning Manna. And uh, a couple of ways to do that here on the Faith and Values platform. You'll see a uh, button on the front page where you can give and you can present an offering to the Lord to help us out. And you're not helping us out, and we're not sinking, we're not drowning or anything like that. What it is, is you're making an offering to the Lord, and that gift is going to make a difference in being able to uh, be multiplied and extend the kingdom of God. So we appreciate you praying about that and making sure that you hear the Lord on it. So, um, Rick, any uh, final words before we uh, sign off for today? Yeah, I would like to know, I'm reading the comments. And for the people that are online right now, how many of you have ever heard the Sermon on the Mount taught this way? Anybody? Never, never, right, so never, not me. Never, 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 never. <laughs> the nevers are coming through so fast I can't read them. Uh, <clears throat> Doc, what does wow. this say? You know, that folks, I'm... That is not being taught, first of all. It, it's not being taught. This is not new revelation. Um, an angel did not come to me and say, Rick, I'm giving you the mysteries of the Bible. You are the only one who knows these mysteries. 
You can write a book about the mysteries of the Sermon on the Mount. That's not that's not happening, folks. This is not a mystery, and this is not a new doctrine. I'm teaching what old preachers used to teach centuries ago. Yes. That's all. This was still being taught in a lot of churches up until probably by the time of, you know, the 1940s and 50s. A lot of churches, yeah, before the real infiltration began. Yes. This is just old-fashioned Christianity. So, um, you know, you, you know that I, I, I like to collect and read old Christian books. Well, this is what these old books are doing to me. Right. I'm discovering what used to be taught in churches, what used to be considered normal teaching and preaching. So there's been a there's been an entity, there's a force that's gotten into the churches in modern days and has changed the gospel. Right. Changed the present the gospel hasn't been changed. They've changed the presentation of the gospel, the interpretation of the gospel. All I'm trying to do is just go back to what pastors and Bible teachers taught in this. 1700s and the 1800s and the early 1900s and it's not again it's not new revelation no it's not and another aspect too is that we take it slow we don't rush through it we don't say well we've got to get through these verses or we've got to get this topic out of the way today no we we take it slow we take it word by word we look at the word we look at what other uh, teachers in the past have have said about this and have had ruminated on themselves and the insights that they've made, and so that's the real difference in, in this uh, uh, fast food theology uh, syndrome that we have in Christianity today. It's we could drive up, we get what we want, and move on, and uh, you know that's it. And so, uh, but really understanding the word requires us to meditate on the word. Uh, David said that. I will meditate on your law day and night. I will meditate on it. I'll ruminate on it. I'll chew on it like a cow chewing its cud uh, and getting everything out of it. So that's another aspect of, of why this is different than other uh, other Bible study classes. Um, Doc Nathan uh, said, uh, Rick, I want to see your library. Uh, I want a picture of it. Share your knowledge. Well, Nathan, I'll let you in on a secret. Uh, I am digitizing my library, and I'm going to share it with the world. So you you guys are the first to hear it. Um, so it's a project that I've been working on, is to digitize these old books and, you know, selectively choose um, the best and, and release them to the public. So anyhow, that's that's a project. Hopefully, we will have that happening. The first uh, the first part of the library will come out this year. Yes, amen. And so, and we want to be able to share that with as many people as we can. And uh, we'll be giving you more details about that. 
Rick, any other? We're doing questions? a lot, you know, Doc. I, I just want. You know, I'm, not, I'm just trying to. I'm not trying to be um, coy, but we do. A, we're doing a lot more every day than what we talk about. Yes. Okay. We have to show uh, wisdom and discernment in how much we can talk about uh, before we finish projects. Uh, so, but we are working on projects. Okay. So we don't just sit around and talk about the news all day long. We, we have other projects that we're working on and um, digitizing the old libraries. This is a big project that we've been working on for quite some time. Yes. Well, it sounds like the ducks are ready for uh, their They're coming day. back. So, uh, another, so uh, it's another uh, feeding frenzy. They, I guess another flock has come in. So, all right. All well, right, that, I'll see you in a while. We'll uh, say goodbye for today. We're, uh, join us tomorrow for the Thursday edition of Morning Manna. We'd love to have you here. Bring a friend with you if you don't mind. And uh, be sure to let others know about Morning Manna. We had a lot of people on today. Yeah, they are. Here's Rick's choir back there. And so uh, I just, uh, Gary on uh, the chat here said something earlier about having a B attitude adjustment. I think that's going to stay with me all day today. Uh, so yeah. we're getting a B attitude adjustment right now, Rick. Uh, that's right. B attitudes. And so, that's well, right. on that note, tomorrow, join us Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern time for Morning Man. We'd love to have you here live. You can always listen to the replays on faithandvalues.com. God bless you. Hey, Duncan. Oh, here we go. I'm thinking all kinds of things. You know, uh, instead of a B12 shot, we can get do a B8 shot. <laughs> or you could drink a, v, a, a, a B8. Oh, I, I could have, have had a, a B8. You <laughs> could have had a B8, yes. So, so all right. we'll have to work on that idea. Yeah. God bless everyone. We'll see you on the next edition of Morning Manna. We love you. Bye. I asked the morning manna class this morning a question. How many of you have ever heard the Sermon on the Mount taught the way that Doc and I are teaching it? And I don't think anybody said yes, that they had heard it that way. Well, it was overwhelmingly no, they had not heard it taught like that at all. Right. And the point that I made was that I'm not teaching anything new. It's I'm teaching things that are old. And I made reference to uh, the books that are in my library. I have some of them here in the studio. I have thousands more of these old books in my office uh, right here in front of me. Okay, so here's one. Uh, the book is the Foundations of Faith, uh, printed in 1879. Doc, here uh, I have the, the entire set. McLaurin's Expositions of Holy Scripture. Alexander McLaurin, the great Baptist preacher right. from Great Britain. He was Scottish, but he, his ministry was in, in England. And uh, I have his whole library. And, and I... I've learned so much from Alexander McLaurin. He, you know, he was in, in the 1800s. I think he died in around 1905. He was the first world, the first president of the World Baptist Association, and uh, he taught the things that I'm teaching. Right. I learned from people like him and G. Campbell Morgan and Charles Spurgeon. 
they were teaching these ideas in the in the 1800s and they learned it from people who taught it in the 1700s and the 1600s folks stay with us every day with morning manna grow and and just be blessed in lord i'll see you tomorrow lucky land casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky lucky in line at the deli i guess aha in my dentist's office more than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.